0: All right. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing all right. I know you got a mask on, but you can still talk. All right. Okay. there we go. There we go. I mean, it's good to see you all this morning. I'm excited to dig into God's word today. I'm also excited that it's not like 90 degrees right now. So we can praise God for that. All right. Uh, We are going to be continuing in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 20. John chapter twenty. We're almost done. We're almost done with John. John chapter twenty. We're going to start in verse eleven. You following along? All right. So, have you ever had a dream that was so real when you woke up, you weren't sure it was a dream? All right. I had a dream. I'm. I'm. A, I'm going to call it a nightmare. I had a nightmare, and it was a reoccurring one. All right the nightmare was is that somehow I missed some sort of class and I did not actually graduate high school. Okay. And I was super nervous. I mean, I, I'm a grown man. I'm married. And I'm like, am I going to have to go back to high school? Now high school wasn't horrible to me, but still I'm like, man, I'm, I'm a grown man. I don't need to go to high school. Like I, I will feel some sort of anxiety. Feel, I was like, I'm gonna look so dumb. Grown man over here, my twenties in high school. And like, for real, there's a reoccurring dream. And I'd wake up with such anxiety And then I would realize, oh, that ain't even true. I actually did graduate high school. I'm okay, I'm okay. Now what's interesting is anxiety can come from believing something that is not true. I'm sure you've had moments where you were anxious about something, but upon further information or correct information, you found out that you didn't have to be anxious about that anymore. And honestly, there is a lot of grief that we allow in our hearts because we do not believe the things that Jesus said are true. So I want to I want to look at some promises today, some assurances today so that we can remind ourselves about what is true. So that when the anxieties of this life come to get us, we can say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that belief, that fear, that doubt. That is not true. So we're going to start. John 20, verse 11. It reads But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him. I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, turn around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that from your word, you would speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that your promises would be made clear and that we would be able to grasp them by faith. Lord, we pray that your glory and your power would come down even in this field this morning, that we would get a sense of your tangible presence and that our hearts would be warmed and encouraged By your good spirit, it's in Jesus' name, Amen. So the first thing I want to point out is is that we can weep without understanding. We can weep without understanding. Now Mary was was crying because she had come to the tomb where they had laid Jesus' body, but they did not find the body there. Now, now the context is in verse one of that chapter. It says, "On the first day of the week." Mary came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to him, They've taken the Lord. We don't know where they put him. All right, so they have this conversation. They run to the tomb. They look and see that Jesus is not there. And then in verse 9 it says, For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Now, if you've read the Gospels, Jesus has said repeatedly over and over again, I will rise from the dead on the third day. I will rise from the dead. He says it over and over and over again. And so it's interesting that when Mary comes to the tomb and doesn't see Jesus there, her immediate thing is, oh, man, somebody stole his body. That lets us know from the get-go that even though he had heard his word, she did not believe his word. And because she did not believe his word, she had this deep anxiety. And Mary's grief caused her not to see the miracle that happened right in front of her. Not to believe the word that Jesus had spoken. See, if you notice, if you remember what we read uh, She's crying and she sees angels and that doesn't really cause her to be happy. And then she sees Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener. All I can imagine is she's just so worked up. Maybe she has tears in her eyes and she just cannot see clearly. But if she would listen to God's word and not her grief, she would see God in power working right in front of her. Beloved, we have to remember God's word especially when what is happening in front of us is causing us anxiety or worry or fear. We need God's word so that we can actually see God at work. Now listen, I want to give you something specific. What, What promises can we remember in the middle of grief and confusion? I have this distinct privilege to be able to talk To so many people as they're going through hard times. And what I have noticed is that when we are going through hard times, either we don't know what God said about hard times or we don't remember. So I just want to give you some stuff. This is from James 1. It says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So when something is going crazy, when our world is, is just shaking and we don't know what to do, we need to remember the promise of God. This is not random, but God is working out maturity in us. I want to here's another promise from Hebrews 12. It says, Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? John 9 verse 11 says, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Again, when you are encountering suffering, how would it change if you understood that when you are encountering suffering, it is God, your loving father, disciplining you so that you could grow up into maturity? So that you're going to have peace and righteousness amidst a world that it looks like it's going crazy. One more is this is the 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Listen to this. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. How how would it change if you felt like you were in affliction, that if you were having a hard time, that you knew that God was preparing you to be able to comfort somebody else? That in the middle of your affliction, as you are seeking God, as you are, are receiving comfort for God, if you knew that God would then in turn use you to comfort somebody else. Beloved, we miss out on such Peace, because we are unfamiliar and we do not believe the word of God. Here's the beauty of it. If Mary would have believed the word of God, if her eyes would have been open, she would have seen Jesus right with her in her distress. And we have the same promise. So in this this hour of confusion. And these months of uncertainty, we have to cling to god's word and and know and remember that he does not waste suffering he does not waste grief it is not for nothing in fact he loves you and wants to mature you and wants to use you to help others even more he is right there with us in the middle of our suffering That is why we pray, Lord, open our eyes to see where you are. Open our eyes that we might believe in your word. Help us to trust. Now, what I love is that in the middle of Mary's distress, where she's confused, she doesn't know what to do. Jesus calls her by name. Look at verse 16. It says, Jesus said to her, Mary. Turn around. She said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. What I love is that Jesus can snap us out of our funk. You ever been in a funk? You just, been, you kind of stuck and somebody had a, hey, hey, what are you doing? Wake up, what you doing? Listen, listen, all of our lives, we in these, these various types of funk. Listen, listen, before we even know who Jesus is, the Bible says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, we are unresponsive to the gospel. See, before Jesus saved me, I did not care about him. It's not that I hadn't heard his name before. I've heard his name. I, I heard some scriptures. I, I saw people who followed him and I, I thought it was a generally good idea to follow him. But it, it just it did not dawn on me that I needed to do it. But then there was one day where Jesus said, well, he called me. He reached into my heart and made me alive by the spirit. And beloved, if any of you trust in Jesus right now, it is because Jesus himself called your name and made your dead heart alive and and made you responsive to him. We need Jesus to call out names to snap us out of spiritual death. And he is loving and willing to do it. Do you know that is my hope? That as I preach this gospel and as I look at the community that I love, I am trusting that the Lord Jesus is going to be calling people's names. Waking people up out of spiritual death to the love and joy and peace that is in him. Not Not only do we need him to snap us out of spiritual death, we need to hear him say our names when we are in despair. There are times in which I'm in deep sadness. But a moment of encouragement from the spirit, a word of scripture from the Bible. Someone speaking to me in Jesus' name would snap me out of it. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. There have been moments where I've had deep despair, but I've been in prayer and I've had the spirit encourage encourage me. And the, the train of my thoughts that was heading towards destruction just stopped. And I remembered that Jesus was in control. We need him to say our name. And even when we are stuck in sin, there are times when we are so wrapped up in sin that we become numb to the spirit. We do things which we thought we would never do. But beloved, we need Jesus to snap us out of our rebellion. He is loving to do that. What's crazy is I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in other people's lives. They're heading towards destruction. They are ignoring God. But there is a moment when Jesus calls their name and their eyes are opened. That same Jesus who opened your eyes can open anybody's eyes. We need Jesus to call our name. Now, I want to look at a, a, a peculiar scripture and try to make some sense of it. Look at verse 17. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her. How weird is that? Is that not weird? Mary, she sees Jesus. She runs to him. I'm assuming uh, she's hugging him. And he says, no, no, wait a minute. What is going on here? Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. There's something important about this ascending to the Father. See, Jesus ascends to the father so that we can experience all the benefits of his work. Let's let's get it. He says, don't cling to me. Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. I just need to pause just for a second. Now, listen, he just called. The very people who deserted him, not three days ago, his brothers. This is the love of Jesus. Verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Now, listen, Mary clings because she thinks that Jesus in the flesh is better than Jesus in heaven. Now, wouldn't you? If you're honest, wouldn't sometimes you think, well, if he was just with me, if he was just standing right here, it'd be okay. Like I wish I had the experience that the disciples had. You know, they're walking around doing something. Jesus is right there, giving bread, healing people. Why is he not right here? But the work of Jesus was not yet complete. And if we remember early in John, he said something unique. He says, "It is better." That I go to the Father. So how is it better? See, Jesus' death, resurrection, and his ascension has affected a change in how we relate to God. You may know the story, but the, the honest truth is, we rebelled against God by serving other things. We made, we made things that were mere creations into things that we would worship. But then God didn't leave us in that place. The Son of God became human, and he lived perfectly in our place. And he rose from the dead as vindication and beloved for our justification. That means when he rose from the dead, it's like the Father says he's innocent. And when we believe in him, the Father looks at us and says, you are innocent. Now, I know you might have heard that, but why haven't we talked about the ascension? There's a piece that's missing. And according to Jesus, the ascension changes and identified with our sin, took our punishment, and he links us to his resurrection. That the Bible says because he resurrected, so will we. So we are so connected to him. We are so unified to him that when he goes to sit next to God, we are somehow sitting right with him. Now, why does that matter? Surely there are times that you pray and in the back of your head. You're like, does God hear me? Surely there's times when you pray and you're like, well, I've had kind of a sinful day today. I don't know. I don't know if we're good today. There's times you pray and you looked around and surely, surely he's not hearing me today. Listen, when you pray, I want you to imagine that Jesus is sitting right next to God. And that somehow, because Jesus unites him to, to himself, that we are sitting right next to God. Your prayers are so effective. It is that it is you, you are sitting right next to God. That is how near Jesus brings us. Here's the crazy thing that Jesus ascended into heaven, that humanity, his humanity, is in heaven, so that we, mere humans, can have that level of connection. With God, we can have confidence to speak to God as Jesus does. Think about that. Listen, how confident was Jesus? There was one time when He prayed. This is when He raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, "Father, I'm praying to you. I know you always hear me, but I'm praying so that they know that you hear me." That's how close He was. And then He says, He says to the disciples, "He says, I want you to go and tell them, I am returning to my God and your God." To my father and your father he is saying the same access that i get the same love and affection that i receive you get as sure as jesus ascended into the heavens and is sitting in the throne room of god our prayers are right there with him and in fact by faith we are too that's why his ascension matters Because it means that right now we are so connected to God. Our access is there. And beloved, we can have it if we would have faith. Now, not only does he, in in a way, take us into heaven with him. The scripture says that when he ascended, he became king over all creation. Ephesians 1.20, it says, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Get this. Far above every ruler, authority, power, and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Get this, the one who is over every single power, king, president, demonic power, the one who is over every single thing, says that he is our brother. If he has dominion over everything and he has demonstrated that he loves you, then why would you have to worry? Listen, there are times in our lives where we're like, is he in control? Is he there? Can I trust him? But according to the scripture, he has control of everything. That there is nothing in your life that he will not use for your good and his glory. There is nothing in your life that will overpower his will to do good to you. Because he is over every single thing. And the worst case scenario, beloved, he is in heaven. He is in control and he loves you. What kind of crazy confidence can this give us in this life? Lastly, the fact that he is in heaven, the fact that he ascended to the father, it assures us that he will defeat all evil. The, the most quoted Psalm, the New Testament, the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament, is Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, this is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Beloved, Jesus is in heaven, actively conquering evil. That is where he is. And guess what? You and I are connected to him. And as sure as he is ascended, he will conquer every single evil thing. First Corinthians 15, 25, it says, for he must reign until he puts All his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. The worst case scenario for you. The worst evil that could come against you. Even that he will defeat. Beloved, we don't serve an impotent, weak God. We serve Christ Jesus, the king of heaven and earth. So what, what, how do we apply this? What does this, this mean? It means that we live like he is the king. We live with confidence that we have access to God and that Jesus is in control. Do you all understand how much peace that will give you when you wake up and you think, well, where is Jesus? Oh, he's on his throne. What does he control? Everything. Who does he love? Me. What can happen this day, which he cannot bring me through and cannot use for my good because he sits on his throne in heaven and reigns and rules and he will conquer every evil thing. That's why we live out this mission. Beloved, we believe and preach the gospel. The gospel is the good news of how our king conquered. The king who was above all things humbled himself to, to live among us and die on a cross and rose again. That is how he conquered. We proclaim that because we want to remember over and over again that we have a king who sympathizes with us. Not only, only that, we, we become and produce disciples. Now, disciple, discipleship is one of them churchy words, but but what it means is is we are submitting all of our lives to the king. If Jesus rules heaven and earth, surely he could tell us what to do. Yeah, if he has all power, surely we can submit to him. That's what discipleship is, is that we are investigating his word and saying we will submit to whatever you say because you are the king. You have demonstrated your love and we are going to help everybody around us submit to our good king. And lastly, we pursue justice. Justice is the moral and ethical standards that the king wants. If you ever pray the Lord's Prayer, when you say, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what are you asking? You're like, Jesus, I want my community to, to act like you are the king. I want them to treat each other like you are the king. Now, here's the craziest thing. He is in heaven. But how does he work in the earth? The Bible says through us. That we are his body, that we are his hands and his feet. Now, there's been a lot of talk about justice lately, but I want to make it local. What would it mean to pursue justice right here? As I talk to people, I, I, I think it would mean that, that, that we would be, be uh, uh, helping children in their education that we will be helping people fight their addictions that we would be be advocating for affordable housing think about the things what would happen if Jesus is king how would people treat one another and then what does that require of me let's make it even more local what does it look like for Jesus to be king at your job Jesus is king At downtown, the the tallest skyscraper, Jesus is king at the waffle factory, right there. Jesus is king at the Wendy's, and Jesus wants to rule through you. And you ask yourself, At my job, how would I treat others if Jesus was king? I want us to remember this, beloved. We don't serve a God who does not have power, He is in control, He is king. So I'll say this, if you have not come to this king, if you have not been connected to this king, if you have not heard him say your name, beloved, today is the day to come. That you would hear him say your name, that you would know he died for your sin, that you would know he reigns in heaven to love and to serve you. You would cry out to him. And beloved, for all of us, let's remember our king is in heaven. He is in control and he is good. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I pray that you would call people by name today. Lord, I ask that that you would, would call people out of spiritual death into spiritual life. Lord, even, the, even if there are some who who hear and and they might have heard about you for years and years, but their hearts have not yet been changed. I pray that you would change their hearts in this moment. And Lord, would you give your church confidence and boldness that because you are in heaven, we have access to you. And because you are in heaven, you control everything. We submit to you.